Trust everybody had a good Christmas. It was a white Christmas of sorts. So it's kind of white Christmas I like. It's white in the morning and green in the afternoon. Perfect. So uh, take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. I'm sure a lot of you got together with family and enjoyed uh, your time with your family. We uh, have just finished a series of Advent sermons in which we looked at the promise of the coming Messiah, uh, who we know to be Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He's the Savior of the world. God, he's God with us. He's the branch of Jesse, or the root of Jesse. And today, we're going to look at Hebrews 12, first three verses, and um, in, in, the, in epistle, the epistle to Hebrews, you see that the first 10 chapters, the author spends his time saying that Jesus is better than, and he's, he's better, he's better than everything, and so therefore, put your faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, chapter 11 is the chapter that we know of that we could kind of summarize as this. These are the people who put their faith in Jesus Christ. And then we get to chapter number 12, and this chapter begins to tell us how to live the Christian life. What I, what I love about Hebrews is that he's not giving us some simple formulaic uh, list, like six ways to have success in the Christian life, or these three things make you a better Christian, or anything like that. It's nothing like that. But instead, he is telling us things that are decisive for growing in grace and for living the Christian life in, in joy. I don't know about you, but uh, that, that is an element that all of us probably need right now is joy, isn't it? Uh, we can have joy in spite of our circumstances. And um, he, so he's, he's telling us how to do that. In 2021, we have a new year. People tend to take New Year's and, and evaluate things, make a bunch of res, uh, uh, New Year's resolutions that they don't follow, and then move on. But it is a good time for us just to reevaluate and say to ourselves, oh, what do we as believers need to be doing? What do I need to do in my Christian life to uh, be better pleasing to God and those sorts of things? So if you look at uh, verse number one, you'll see the word lay aside. The first thing that he tells us to do is to lay aside certain things. And that's, that's absolutely key to living the Christian life, lay aside certain things. And number two, you'll notice at the end of verse number one that he says run. Uh, in other words, he views a Christian life not as something that is passive. It's not let go and let God. The Christian life is something that we have to throw ourselves into. Uh, the metaphor here is that we're going to be doing something very athletic. And so living the Christian life is a long distance run. You know, some of you will probably make the resolution that you're going to lose weight, whatever that looks like. And I know the gym for the next three or four weeks is going to be absolutely packed with people that you won't see in the month of February. But uh, a lot of them will be running. And so if you're going to lose weight or you're going to get in shape, you have to be active. It's an act of choice. Same thing with the Christian life. Number three, you'll see in verse number two that he says, looking to Jesus. Now, that's not an imperative. Uh, look to Jesus. 
It's actually uh, a word that, that describes how you run. How you run the Christian life is looking to Jesus. Now that, that metaphor is just a little bit mixed because uh, nobody, nobody in their right mind would run a marathon at night looking straight up or anything like that. But for the Christian life, we are to look to Jesus as we run. And then finally, in verse number three, he's gonna tell you to consider him. Consider who? Jesus Christ. Now, if you look back at verse number one, he's giving you a specific context in which you are to understand yourself living the Christian life. And the picture here is of a great arena filled with those who have run before in the faith and they're cheering you on and you're entering an arena full of encouragers like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and Elijah and Isaiah and Jeremiah and we could go on and on and on. Uh, Paul even and people who have run before us and now they're encouraging us. So with that, let's stand together and we'll read the first three verses of uh, Hebrews chapter number 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God." Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the examples that we have in Scripture of those who ran the race before us. And frankly, Lord, sometimes running the Christian race of the Christian life seems very difficult and it almost seems impossible And it it feels like we're not going to make it, Lord, but there are many, many who ran before us who are now cheering us on by their examples, and uh, we thank you for that, and I pray that we will carefully consider our Christian walk uh, today and our coming days and ask ourselves how we may better please you and glorify you and run the race. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you. So the, the author of Hebrews is telling us to fix our eyes on Jesus and to run for the prize. And to uh, live the Christian life, you must fix your eyes on Jesus and prepare for a long-distance run. It's not lived by accident. You don't accidentally stumble into pleasing Christ. You don't grow into godliness as an accident. It's something that is deliberate, The author of Hebrews is here to teach us several things that are essential to living the Christian life, and I want to look at them with you this morning. But before we even get to the four things that uh, I mentioned already, I want us to think about the the context, and the context is that you're in an arena. You're running into an arena, and if you remember in the Olympics, the, the marathons generally start in the arena 
they leave the arena and they end in the arena and everybody's cheering them on. I think, if I remember correctly, and I have I mean, nobody watches a marathon on TV, right? Some people do, but uh, if you do, don't, don't send me an email, okay? But, uh, but you, they run the marathon, they come back in, I think they take at least a lap or so, maybe even a little bit more than that. And the idea here is that we've got these witnesses, these forebears in the faith, and they're urging us on, and they're telling us, look, we went through difficult circumstances. We ran the race. Some of them ran a long time. Abraham, uh, over 170, I think 175 years, Abraham, and, and he was in exile, lived in a tent his whole life, and there are other people who had just uh, difficult times, and they're telling us, look, it's worth it. It's wonderful, it's glorious, it's difficult, but in the end, you will be rewarded and Christ is there with you and he will help you along. And so we have that testimony that is there, that, that arena of people who have come before us. And I don't know where you are today. I have no idea spiritually where you are. You might be very tired. You might be very, uh, uh, just, you, you feel like you can't put another foot in front of another in your life. But remember that Jesus Christ is with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He gave you his Holy Spirit in order that you may live the life. He lives the life through you and you, he gives you the power. And so these are wonderful, encouraging words. But one of the things that we have to realize is that there are things that we need to choose to do. One of them is found in verse number one, and that is lay aside every obstacle. He says, lay aside. And so it's, it's very interesting that he starts this way. The first thing he said, that if you're going to live the Christian life, you're going to have to lay some things aside. If you're going to live the Christian life, you lay some things aside. Why does he say that? He says that because he knows that part of living the Christian life is recognizing the obstacles. I love the way he says it. He says we need to lay it aside. Lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. My, and what he's saying, and this is so important for all of us, my big obstacles for living the Christian life, they're not out there, they're in here. The, the obstacles of living the Christian life is not the person sitting next to you. It's not the person you're married to. It's not your parents. It's not your children. It's not your job, your boss. It's not any of your circumstances. The obstacles to living the Christian life is inside. It's, he says, not only lay aside sin, but he says, lay aside every other weight. In other words, he's talking about both hindrances and sin, and when I say that, understand that there are some things that are perfectly good in and of themselves, which are not helpful in living the Christian life. And so he draws attention to both laying aside sin and hindrances. And there's a couple of them. Number one, the hindrances of the small and besetting sins. Think of it. So often in the Christian life, it's the smaller besetting sins that get us. It's not the biggies, is it? I mean, I, I don't see people out there committing the biggies. It's, it's, it's the small things. Rather than the bigger headline sins, it's the small things. For example, as a pastor, I've seen marriages end 
not because of adultery or abuse, but simply because of laziness and dishonesty. I've seen marriages in that way. I've seen marriages in because of just simple selfishness. Somebody who won't lift a finger in their marriage. So the author of Hebrews is saying that if you're going to live the Christian life, there are some sins that you're going to have to set aside. There are hindrances that you're going to have to set aside. Um, Bitterness is often one. Unforgiveness is often one. People, they, they, they never grow in a Christian life because they cannot forgive, because they cannot um, get over that bitterness. And so there's these small besetting sins. And then the, another hindrance is actually good and right desires. Now, I love it, the emphasis here, because there are desires that we can have. Think about this. There are desires that we can have that actually undermine our ability to live the Christian life. They're good desires. They're, they're desires for good things, but they hinder us in our Christian life. You, you may long for a husband or a wife, and God hasn't seen fit to give it to you. You, you may long for a better relationship with your husband or wife. Or you may wish that your husband or wife were improved. Or you may wish for children. Or you may wish for children that, are, that were walking with the Lord. Or you may wish for a vocation where you could, with more clarity, serve the Lord in his kingdom. Or for family relations that are better. Or thousands of other legitimate things. None of these things are bad, are they? They're not bad in and of themselves. But those things may so consume you that when you do not have them, you are unable with a single eye to pursue the goal. See what I'm saying? I'm not talking about the thing itself. I'm talking about the desire for the thing. You're so given over to a desire for a good thing that you completely lose your eye for the goal. And the, the prize is Jesus Christ. And so if those things are hindrances that have to be laid aside to live the Christian life, that's one of the things that we need to look for. And that's the first thing the author says is, you, if you want to live the Christian life, there are some things that are just going to have to be laid aside. So let me ask you a question, dear believer. Are there things in your life, good things that you desire that have say, taken such a place in your life that they consume your thoughts and they become better to you than Jesus Christ himself. There comes a point in time in a believer's life when we desire these good things and we, we need to tell Jesus, look, Christ, I may never get this good thing that I desire, but I'm gonna keep my eyes on you because you are better than this thing that I desire. It's a hard thing to do, isn't it? It almost feels like you're giving up the dream. In reality, you're giving up something smaller to pursue something much greater. And we need to remember that. Secondly, there not only uh, lay aside obstacles, but Paul, uh, the author of Hebrews tells us to run the race with endurance. Notice he says run. 
And I love the fact that he doesn't just say run. He says, let us run with endurance the race. Now, it's, it's very clear at the end of verse number one and at the end of verse number three that we do this so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. The idea is uh, sports lingo from the first century. Growing weary and faint-hearted was that was that. Um, was a word that was used for long-distance athletes who finally gave out before they finished the race. Have you ever seen that happen? I'm sure you have. Uh, you just give out before the race is done. They couldn't make it to the finish line because they were so exhausted. And so the metaphor here is of a distance race. And that's why it is so important that we contemplate the Christian life, that we're looking ahead, that we're, um, that we're thinking ahead. Why is he telling us this? Because if we don't realize the challenge of the living the Christian life, our hopes are going to be distorted into unrealistic expectations. I mean, think about it. We, we live in a nation where everything's instant, right? We, we like them instant. The quicker, the better, right? Um, I sh- probably shouldn't be telling this about myself. Christmas Day, um, my, my mother makes the best cinnamon rolls the world has ever seen. And I cannot replicate those. And so she said that when she came for Christmas, she was gonna teach me how to make her cinnamon rolls. But what she did instead is she acted more like Confucius than anything else. So I would ask her a question as I'm making the cinnamon rolls and she would say, well, what do the directions say? You know how that is. And, um, and I blamed it on her, but I was, I was distracted and the first batch of dough I made wrong. And nothing happened. It was just a big brick. Okay, the second the second batch, um, which I made Christmas Day because I'm I'm that kind of a person of obsessive. I thought I'm going to conquer this thing. Right? You start working the dough, and it's so much easier just to pop a can and put those things and, and bake them. Right? But do you know what it feels like to knead dough for ten minutes? It feels like about two or three hours, doesn't it? But nothing worthwhile. Is, is, is usually ever easy, right? And, and so um, if I'd read the directions ahead of time and made them right, it would have worked out well. I had to contemplate step by step what was going on. Same thing, by the way, they're delicious, in case you're wondering. Anybody, for those that didn't have breakfast. Um, but that's the same way with the Christian life in that we have to contemplate, okay, what's the end goal what is the Bible, how does the Bible characterize this? What are we doing? And, and um, we, why is he telling us this? Because if we don't realize the challenge of living the Christian life, we're gonna be, have our hopes distorted by unrealistic expectations. And what I love about this passage is that it's filled with hope and encouragement, but it's utterly realistic, right? Do you, do you enjoy it? When somebody paints a picture that's just completely inaccurate, oh yeah, this is easy. Uh, you ever get that when you call on the telephone for something? Uh, maybe, I, I don't know, take your pick. Uh, maybe you're getting a product or you're trying to pursue something. Oh yeah, it's college admissions maybe. Oh yeah, it's really easy. You just do this, this, and this, and it's easy. And it's never as easy as what they say. Uh, they don't paint an accurate picture. Well, the Bible does. It's filled with hope and encouragement, but it's utterly realistic. 
big obstacles that we face in Christian living um, are not out there. They're in here. And the author of Hebrews is telling us that we need to be realistic about just how great a challenge a Christian life is. Kent Hughes, some of you know who he is. Kent Hughes tells the story of a man I think none of you have probably ever heard of. His name is Bill Broadhurst. Uh, I, I doubt that you've ever heard of him. He ran the 10,000 meter uh, Pepsi Challenge in Omaha, Nebraska in 1981. Did anybody watch that one on TV? Okay. <laughs> he... Um, He's a perfect illustration of this point. Bill Broadhurst in 1971 had a brain aneurysm and the doctors saved his life. But in the course of surgery that saved his life, he was left paralyzed on the left side of his body in that surgery. For 10 years, he labored to walk and talk and then he began to jog And so in July of 1981, he was lined up along with 1,200 other runners in the Pepsi Challenge in in Omaha, Nebraska, like I said. And along with these other 1,200 runners was a guy named Bill Rogers. You may have heard of him, some of the, the older ones. Bill Rogers won the Boston Marathon, the New York City Marathon, four times. He set the record for the Boston Marathon at that time of two hours and nine minutes. And so I'm not sure what his time was when he finished, but a lot of the people in that 10,000 meter run finished in 30 minutes or less. Bill Broadhurst finished the run in two hours and 30 minutes, the 10,000 meter run. Painful loafing step all the way. You can imagine what it must have felt like physically for him when he finished. But at the finish line was waiting for him none other than Bill Rogers, the marathoner. He took his gold medal off because he won the race and he, he put it on the neck of Bill Broadhurst when he crossed that finish line. He finished the race limping and hopping and step by step very slowly finished You know what? That's the picture of the Christian life. It's not unbated success, onward and upward. The Christian life is not no obstacles, victory after victory after victory. No, it's a long distance run. It's a long obedience in the same direction with many dangers, toils, and snares along the way. Let me ask you a question. How many of you we're perfectly obedient to Christ this whole week. See what I mean? That's the way the Christian life is. But the author of Hebrews is so helpful in his realism. You've got to be ready to run the race. And if you're going to live the Christian life, it's going to be done deliberately, and it's going to be done with endurance. It's not going to be easy, and it's full of obstacles, but you can run it. And Christ will be there to greet you as you limp across the finish line in the end. But then he says something else. The third thing he says in verse number two is looking unto Jesus. Now here the author of Hebrews is having us reorient our whole life to Jesus Christ. We're to run with endurance. We're not to grow weary and faint-hearted. We're to look to Jesus. 
Now notice what he says here. Twice in this passage, verses two and three, we're told that Jesus endured. Jesus endured. In verse number two, it says that he endured the cross. In verse number three, it says that he endured hostility from sinners. So notice that he, he asked you to endure, but he never says that God never asked you to do what he has not already done before you. Christ already endured it. He endured the cross. He endured sinners. And also notice especially what he says about Jesus in verse number two. Look at it. He says, Jesus endured the cross, what? Despising the shame. Why? Why? How? Well, that's because of part of verse number one. He says, because of the joy that was set before him. So Jesus endured the cross He despised the shame because of the joy set before him. How did he endure the cross? He endured the cross because he looked at the joy that was set before him. How are you going to endure the race? How are you going to endure the race? Because of the joy that's set before you. Remember, we talked about this last week. When um, we get to heaven, Jesus will say what? Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord, right? We rest. We have joy. That's what we're looking forward to. We're looking forward to that. Yes, we can put things off. Yes, we can do the painful thing. And maybe something in this life that we're dreaming for, good things. But we realize that the most important thing is to look to Jesus. See how he lived the Christian life. See how he was so completely focused on heaven, focused on the glory of God. And that's what we do. We look to Jesus and we look to the future joy that we will have in Jesus Christ and we say in our hearts, Christ, none of these things compare to the future glory that is to follow. Isn't that wonderful to know? Look, one of the reasons we do this is that ultimate satisfaction does not exist without God. Why do we have to lay aside the hindrances of good, but not ultimate desires? Because God has not ordained that you will have full satisfaction of your desires apart from him. Let me say it one more time. We set aside these things that we desire, these good things that we desire, because it's only when we set those things aside that we can find full satisfaction. Over and over and over, I've counseled people who have a bad marriage, and it seems like all they can focus on is, if my marriage were better, I would be happy. I would be fulfilled if my husband did X. I would have a good life if my wife were only X. And they're always focused on their problem. The good thing, and having a good marriage is a good thing, and they, they have no satisfaction because instead of focusing on Jesus and saying, Jesus, I'm gonna glorify and obey you, even if this never fixes itself, they never find the satisfaction they could. You see, it's so important 
that we do that. Satisfaction apart from God does not exist. So unless your eyes are fixed on Jesus, if they're fixed on anything lower, you will be disappointed in this life. Jesus is our treasure. Jesus is our reward. Jesus is our satisfaction. Jesus is our fulfillment. Jesus is everything. There's an old hymn that says, Jesus is all the world to me. Some of you know that hymn. So if you're looking for happiness in this life apart from Jesus, apart from God, that happiness will be brief. It will be fleeting. But if we live this life looking to Jesus, we will never be disappointed because no man can take that away from you. Isn't that wonderful to know? Let me give you one more that the author of Hebrews talks about. He says, reflect on the experience of, of Jesus. This is where we get a little bit serious. Look at verse number three. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. What he asks you to do is to reflect upon the experience of Jesus. He's saying, don't let the hostility of the world break your hope and your faith. He says, remember your Jesus was not a top Instagram influencer. He wasn't a YouTube sensation. He was hated. He was killed by his contemporaries. Sinners were filled with hostility toward him. So don't you be discouraged by the hostility of the world. It's a very important lesson for us to learn at this day and time. Listen, we are entering into a new era in our relationship with our culture. 30, 40, 50 years ago, uh, the vestiges of Christian outlook on this world still pervaded our society. Today, it's rapidly disappearing. You are now publicly being accused of being a hate monger simply because you believe the Bible. Simply for believing what the Bible teaches about marriage. That marriage is, a, is between a man and a woman. You're a hate monger if you believe that. You're a hate monger if you believe that your biological sex is your gender. Did you ever dream that you would get to this day that you're a hateful person because you believe a man is a man and a woman is a woman and there are no other genders? That's literally where we are. Our culture is, is there. Some of you will lose your jobs because of this. And it's very possible in that context to lose hope and to get angry. And the author of Hebrews says, look to Jesus. Were you expecting something different? You're his followers. Expect hostility from sinners and the, and, and the love, and you need to love them like he did anyway, because the gospel still works whether they think it does or not. You know, we live in a culture where Christianity itself is being rapidly uh, disestablished, disenfranchised, 
marginalized. And we're not just coming, uh, it's not just coming from our culture. It's coming from our government too. Do you realize that? The government has made it clear through legislation being proposed that Christianity is no longer favored. We don't have favor with government anymore. The new sexual liberties take precedence over religious liberties that are written into the Constitution. And so therefore, government will oppress. It's going to. It's, if, if you do not believe this, I, I don't know what to tell you. It's, it's coming. And when it does, you can either get depressed or angry, or you can look to Jesus who was despised by sinners and still said that he came to seek and to save them and still loved them and he still died for them. And we can look to Jesus. The author of Hebrews is telling us that's exactly what we need to do to live the Christian life right now. We need to lay aside sin and hindrances. We need to be prepared to run a long race. We need to look to Jesus because he's your prize. And we need to consider Jesus and what he did and look at um, how he acted and follow his example and love sinners whether they love us or not. If you do that, guess what? That is how to live the Christian life. And one day, when we get into glory, having done all that, with our stops and starts, with our steps forward and our steps backwards, with us taking our eyes off of Jesus, bringing them back on, seeing something else, coming back to Jesus, and finally making it across that finish line. When we finally do, there is a cloud of witnesses who's, who will be there in heaven saying, see, all those promises are true. And Jesus will say, well done, good and faithful servant. And that's how we live the Christian life. There's no magic bullet. There's no instant uh, reward. There's no pill that we take. There's no method that we use. It's simply putting one foot in front of the other every single day, keeping our eyes on him. Isn't that wonderful? Lord, I thank you for the simple instruction from the book of Hebrews, how you teach us, Lord, to live the Christian life. And while it's a realistic outlook that the world is going to hate us, that it's not going to be easy, it's also realistic in saying that Jesus is with us, Jesus is our perfect example, and it is worth it more than we can ever dream or imagine. And so I pray, Lord, that even today, we will take stock of our lives. Maybe there are some good things that we just, we desire too much. And, and because of that, uh, uh, Jesus is not uh, first in our, in our thinking, Lord. I just pray that, that we'll be willing to lay aside all those things. Encourage us, Lord, as sometimes a race seems long and it's hard and it's difficult, but Lord, you're strengthening us and we ask all these things in Christ's name you pray, amen.